baby. Wonder if all my bad decisions get accounted in the algorithms. No statistician could dissuade me from my bigger vision. I know my occupation's quite an unlikely place in this world to occupy and talk about upon a daily basis. Our information's predetermined by some biased business. We all insermit the silicon that push up lovely neighbors. I'm done with paper chasing, think I'm on the bigger banquets. Miss that full circle, new wave, energy on a Tuesday. Turn a blue day to a bright hue, yellow with a smooth A in here, extra fruit and here we are. It's another Friday Night Live, another podcast. I'm so glad that you guys are here that are here live. And for you guys that have clicked it on this on podcast form, I'm excited for you guys to have clicked on this one as well because we are back with another biologist. And I know you guys are probably getting tired of biologists, but I'm not. So you're just going to have to suck it up for another week and just listen to some more science talk because I, I love having people on my podcast that are a lot smarter than I am and know a lot more about something than I do, because I've always said it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then what those people know is is where you really start to learn. But I am joined by Mr. Shan O'Gorman, aquatic biologist, fisheries biologist. What is your exact title? What is your uh, title that you like to go by, sir? Um, <clears throat> either of those is fine. I, I don't really care. You just call me Shan, really. Okay. Shan the man. That's what we'll it's go fine. with tonight. <laughs> Shan yeah. the man. So Shan, Shan, Shan I, I was introduced to you through Taco Talk podcast, and I'd listened to you and uh, Andrew over there doing Taco Talk podcast. And I was just, I, and I told you this in the green room, just kind of, I loved your straightforward, no-nonsense approach to talking about the biology of fish and the conservation of fish and the stewardship of fish, and I thought, I've got to have this man on my podcast to talk to him about it because I myself uh, pride myself on being a straight shooter. I don't like to beat around the bush very much. Sometimes you just got to say what you got to say, and so I think you you are the man for that. So if you would, Shan, just kind of introduce yourself, kind of tell everybody about you know your professional career and your professional life and, and what you do and kind of you know how you got into the business of, of what you do. Okay. Um, I started uh, school, college at uh, Valdosta. Awesome. And uh, you went there a few years. And, uh, you know, after a couple years of school, they may, they force you to take some major, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And I was dating a girl then, and, and her dad was a fisheries biologist over on the coast. Mm. He came to the, to the college and did a speech. Mm-hmm. And I had never... I was 18, but I didn't even know that you could to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd never heard of it. Um, and I've always fished. Uh, my dad, you know, took me when I was six, seven years old, just a boy, you know, mm-hmm. and just always loved to fish. So when I learned that you could major in fish, I yeah. said, that's what I'm going to major in. Heck yeah. And I had to transfer over to university of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the only fisheries program back then uh, you can go to a back to get, get some fish classes but if you wanted a degree you had to go to georgia mm-hmm. so i transferred to georgia and one of the first classes i took was pond management mm-hmm. and i those summers uh at valdosta i was a lifeguard at the pool at the, on campus and i was a lifeguard back home as a job um when i got out of school out of high school so I had some training on swimming pools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when we did the pond management class, it just clicked like the similarities between managing a pool and managing a pond. It was water quality, alkalinity, mm-hmm. hardness, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the guy that I was working for 
had a company that took care of like homeowners association pools where we would go in, you know, 11 to eight and take care of the pool all day and keep the water good. And it was like my little, my little pool that I managed all yeah. summer, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, that pool had a pond right behind it. Hmm. So and it had an algae problem. So I went to the president of the board of that community and said, Hey, I'm learning how to fix this stuff in school. Yeah. And I started making money right then in ponds and, and never turned back. I graduated and, and started and just kept continuing my business yeah. and managed ponds um, anywhere, small, tiny ponds, a third of an acre up to several hundred acres. Um, I graduated awesome. in 96 and I sold that business in 2012. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. man. That's cool, dude. That is uh that's that's, that's kind of like that's just a cool story because it's like it's you know it's one thing leads to another leads to another and I mean you know it's just you just kind of fall into what you do and and that's what you do man that's that is really cool. Yeah, it was it, I've I've enjoyed it. I, as soon as I learned about all this stuff, it's just man, it's just what I wanted to do. You know, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So like when when you look at like managing a pond and you kind of like what's that first step or approach like you know you walk up to a pond like how do you start to get a sense of of what you've got going on in there and what you have to do to kind of start to manage that pond to you know grow whether it's big bass or big bluegill or big you know whatever that person's wanting like what is that first step and kind of looking at that well you know it's going to really depend on a lot of factors yeah you know um is it a new pond is it was it just built or is it an existing pond with an existing fish population mm. Okay. Um, I would prefer it to be a new pond. Yeah. And if it's not a new pond, I would usually prefer it if you drained it, eradicated the fish population and started it all over. Huh. Most people don't do that though. Yeah. Um, because ponds are not lakes. Mm -hmm. We can use ponds to understand very basic dynamics Mm -hmm. of predator to prey, Mm -hmm. but that's a kind of what we were talking about in the green room. There's yeah. a, little, a lot of misconceptions. Yeah. The first misconception people make is they, they have a pond in their backyard and they want to stock it with every species of fish imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst yeah. mistake that you can make. It's not a lake. Yep. Right. Yep. So getting people to listen to that is almost impossible. They'll, yeah. they'll be going, if you'll, they'll want to stock crappy. They'll want to stock hybrid bluegill. They'll want to stock everything under the sun to stop. And it's not good for a pond. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's based. If you, if I, if I have a new pond, going back to your question, I have mm-hmm. a new, brand new pond. Let's mm-hmm. start with that one. Mm-hmm. And I would stock it with bluegill. Mm-hmm. I would stock it with red ear. Mm-hmm. I would probably throw a few small uh, grass carp in there to to help me control the vegetation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I would let those go for six months to a year, depending on when I stock them, and let that population build up and establish. Mm-hmm. And then I would stock largemouth bass. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I don't want any other species of predators in there because they compete. Yeah. And, I, and again, it's not a huge lake, so everything's crowded and confined in a pond, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want, if I'm growing bass, I want bass and what they eat in the pond and that's it. Yeah. When you start adding, I guess the best way to think about it is it's called carrying capacity. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you put a bottle of water 
on a table that would be representative of the total number of pounds of fish in a lake mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it could physically hold, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, and if we stock bluegill, the, the bluegill will literally fill that container. And it, the, once we stock the pond, it'll fill itself to that limit mm-hmm. on bluegill. Mm-hmm. If we don't introduce the bass, mm-hmm. the bluegill will, will overcrowd. There's nothing to control their numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of years, they'll become stunted. And what that means is there's so many fish in the pond and not enough forage for those bluegill to go to, to grow to a, a, a good size. Mm-hmm. So they all get stuck about three inches. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy. And after three or four years, it's pretty easy to see a stunted fish because their eyes will be big. Their eyes and their head kind of continue to grow, but their bodies don't. Mm-hmm. So a fish with an, a really enlarged eye mm-hmm. is, has been in a stunted population. Hmm. Okay. So, Going back, say we stock our bluegill, we let it go the six months, it's nice and established, and then we put our largemouth bass in. Mm-hmm. Now let's go back to that bottle of water, okay? Mm-hmm. We have that fixed bottle of water. You would, if to, to, do, to, to represent that, you'd have to take that water and pour it into a, like a, a glass next to it. Mm-hmm. That weight then represents the weight of the bass that you can have taken away from the weight yeah. of the bluegill that you have. You yeah, see how that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't increased the total pounds of fish. Yep, yep. You transferred it to the bass. Yeah. And as those bass begin to grow and gain weight, they begin to take away from the bluegill. Yeah. See how that works? Yeah, yeah. You stop too many bass, they'll take away from the bluegill to the point where they're kind of like on the same level like that, mm-hmm. and then the bass become stunted. Hmm. Yeah. They can't grow. Yep. Yep. Remember that because we're going to touch on that all over this podcast. Yeah. Most of these lakes are stunted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. for 30 years I've been watching that. Yeah. And I go to people, I do electrofishing survey, I sh- do the measurements, I show the, do all the calculations. And I'm like, look, man, your bass are stunted. Yeah. You, you have too many one pound bass in this pond or lake. Mm-hmm. You have to lower the numbers of predators. Mm-hmm to reduce the hunting pressure on the forage base so it can reestablish itself. Because again, we'll just be pouring if we, again, if our glasses are are next to each other like that and they're equal Mm -hmm. and we pour, we start removing bass that represents pouring the weight of that water back into the bluegill, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lowering the bass hunting pressure increases the bluegill forage. Yeah. Okay. And that's a simple system, like a pond, like that's how you want your pond because it's super simple that way. Mm -hmm. One thing affects another thing. When you start adding crappy, green sunfish, mm-hmm. hybrid bluegill, all these other types of fish in there, you're making more and more bottles mm-hmm. that you have to pour that liquid off into. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Having not increased the numbers of pounds of fish in the pond. You're just you diversifying your bottles that you're putting pounds into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now, and now you've got a problem where crappy are eating bass fry and bluegill fry. Yeah. Okay. So that you have to pour out of each bottle, you have to pour, and they're especially bad in, in small ponds, like under about fifty acres. I don't want crappy. Yeah, I've I've heard that from a lot of people. I've heard that from biologists, and I mean, you're not the only person that like you know a crappie can be just to the absolute detriment to a small bottle of water. They just can literally overtake it so quickly just because of their 
willingness and I guess ability to eat about anything that swims in front of their face that's little. They're excellent predators. They're yeah. they're very they again they compete with bluegill and bass for food. Yep. And that's why bluegill and bass work good together because yep. bluegill feed on zooplankton and on aquatic insects. Mm-hmm. They don't feed on bass fry. Yeah. Bass feed on bluegill. Yep. So they don't interfere with each other. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Crappy, there's a couple factors going on there. And, and the biggest factor that most people don't understand is crappy or, you know, you're a fisherman, you know, crappy are born earlier in the year than all the other fish. They're on bed first. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's use our biology, what we know about fish. Tens of thousands of eggs, tens of thousands of crappy are born and in, in the edge of the lake before all the other fish. Yeah. All those crappy are eating the zooplankton that the bluegill want to fry want to eat, mm-hmm. and they're also bass fry want to eat zooplankton when, after they first hatch out. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So the zooplankton has been picked over by the crappy, mm-hmm. and then they're since they're ahead of the bass, they're big enough to eat the bass when they hatch out. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking almost microscopic sizes. It's mm-hmm. not adult fish we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then people want to talk about oh well, you put structure for the forest to hide. They're, they're right there in the same water, yeah. that shiny, shallow water. Yeah. You, there's not any kind of structure you can put there to help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about tiny, larval-sized fish, not yeah. big adult fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can lose your bass population to crappy if they if they pop a couple good spawns yeah. two, three years in a row. Yeah. All your bass fry lost, 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 lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that gives the advantage to the crappy to even stunt further because there's nothing then to control their numbers because bluegill right. don't control crappy. I mean, dude, this just sounds like, you know, what's funny is this sounds like it's just some basic, like, high school biology, man. I mean, this is, this is food webs and food pyramids and, and food chains. I mean, this is all this is. And it's, it's, it's so funny to me that, and I'm not, like, you know, you know, harping on any particular person, but just people in general. It's like, you know, hey, that's just some simple, easy to digest information that you can take in to understand, like, why it may not be great to introduce a certain species of fish into a pond or a bigger body of water or a lake or a river. It's that that basic food web, that basic food chain that if one thing's missing or one thing is added that takes away something, then you can completely collapse the food web within a certain ecosystem. Correct. And, and that's all we're dealing with is, you know, when you look at a pond or a lake or a great lake or even the ocean, it's more complex as you get bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's still just a food web. It's you know, it's it's that basic something eats something and something eats something else, and there's something producing. You know, and so your phytoplankton's your producer, and then you've got these things that eat, and you go on up the food web. And it's just you know, that's it's basic biology, man. Which is it's it's very interesting that a lot of people can't kind of can't see how a crappie or even like an inter, you know an introduced like an you know an, an invasive species could collapse a food web so easily. They really can very, very easily. Uh, and they're not the only, like green sunfish are worse than, than the crappy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't want them. And so it's just, so it's, so it's, ba- it's basically like kind of, you know, you almost, you know, you don't expect like the normal run of the mill person to probably know that a green sunfish is, is worse than a red ear sunfish. And like, you know, because when I look, honestly, me, when I look at those two, like I can tell them apart for the most part, but like then you get into some of those more bluegill panfish species and it's hard for me to even identify what I'm looking at. Everything's bluegill. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. look, I caught a bluegill, but it's actually a, you know, a red breasted titty wobbler or something that I've never heard of, you know, something funny, you know? And so, 
Yeah, that's, and I think that's where, you know, for us as anglers, I think it's very advantageous for us to, you know, kind of lean in. Like if we're going to be, um, you know, part of this system that is going to, you know, use public land, use public water, or even, you know, if you go fish a private pond or, you know, you go fish some, you know, you know, even a public pond, it's just kind of leaning into knowing the difference between those things and understanding what's good and kind of what's bad. And then understand a management plan, you know, for whatever, you know, it's your lakes or whatever. I think that's something that we as anglers need to do a better job at. But I think, I think you've said it and I've said it before too. It's really hard to get people to go just that extra little step. You know what I mean? And that's all it is, man. It's just like, it's just small incremental steps in the right direction of making good decisions that can overall affect the fishery in a positive way. And I had Steve Barden on last week or week before last or whenever that was. And, you know, I said a couple things that he kind of called me on. He's like, man, it's a defeatist mentality to think you can't make a difference. And I was like, you know what, Steve, you're right. Like, if it's just small incremental steps we can start to make a positive effect on a fishery and we could seriously change the whole dichotomy of a fishery for the better, or if you do it the wrong way for the worse. And that's like what I'm hearing when you say that, man, like, you know, just on that pond level, it's just like, it's almost just a, just a little bit of ignorance. You know, no, people aren't stupid. It's just a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of not knowing that leads to, Hey, this thing is completely ruined now. And it's very interesting. Yes. And, to, to touch on like to just to use the example that we're using like and go back yeah in your i go back to say now i'm at a pond that already has an established fish population mm-hmm. okay and i want it and it's, let's say it has crappy in it yeah i'm gonna i've told every single person i've done this a, a, a hundred thousand times they hardly ever listen they don't they don't they won't do that yeah they won't drain the pond and start it over yeah and what happens is then they want to stock yeah they want to use the stock truck to fix yep you really can't yeah if you if you compare what i'm doing i actually have one going right now i've been posting online for a couple of years um a a new pond Mm -hmm. that i stocked properly Mm -hmm. and have been managing properly Mm -hmm. and showing people look i mean i stocked the bass at five inches last may Mm -hmm. they're 14 and a quarter and two pounds right now Wow. wow you know yeah um so and those are northern fish. Those aren't even Florida fish. I've actually got them pit tags. I've got Floridas and northerns in the same pond because mm-hmm. um, I wanted. I, I haven't had this much control over genetics before. Mm-hmm. The, the genetics that are, are the, the hatcheries are really advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that's part of the project because if you cross a northern with a Florida, mm-hmm. you get what they call an F one. Mm-hmm. It means first generation. They just shorten it to F1. Mm-hmm. And an F1, or you might even hear it called F1 hybrid. Um, not a true hybrid because it can spawn. Mm-hmm. But an F1 has the badass attitude of a northern yeah. and the growing capability of a Florida. Yep. So they get bigger than their parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, they express what's called hybrid vigor. Yeah. And, and they, they get, then F1s do F I can get like these fish I got to a little over two pounds. Yep. 
I've got F1s to three pounds in a season in one year on their first year. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah. That just shows you, number one, the aggression of a bass. Dude, they are killing machines. That, that's <laughs> one thing I've always been fascinated by bass is just its ability to kill things fascinates me. And I always said if they were a little bit bigger, we wouldn't be able to swim in lakes because they would come after us next. I mean, they are killing machines. So they absolutely are that. Yeah. Um to continue that thought just so I can finish that and it won't be stuck in my brain. Cause like, I do so many, so many of these podcasts. I love it. I love it. Roll with it, buddy. Roll with things. it. I love it. Forget. So if we go to the, to the pond with crappy that's established yeah. and it has fish in it, you'll never see the growth rates that I just expressed, told you about. Gotcha. That's not going to happen. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, you need to take that off the table. Mm-hmm. And then that's where people, you know, they start coming like, how I got to be able to do this is when I was running my own business, I had so many guys that had ponds. Maybe there was a family pond or mm-hmm. they inherited it or, or they lived on it, but it really wasn't theirs. You know, that all kinds of things where they didn't have total control, but I had to explain these ideas to them, to somebody who didn't have a science degree mm-hmm. for 20 years. So, I'm not that smart. I'm just well rehearsed. <laughs> yeah. I feel that some days, my man. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really don't, you know, I've just talked about it so many times yeah. to so many people over and over. And then even on the internet the last four years, yeah. what drives me is to help the health of the, of the bass. You know, our yeah. bass are starving. Yeah. And I just want to teach people, all right, this is how you tell if a bass is starved. Yes, yes. You know, yes. Yeah. Um, because it can, like, balance in a fishery is like balancing on a wire. Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously, we don't want to have everybody keeping every fish they catch. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. bad. And everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. But what they don't know is it's also a bad idea to throw back every fish you catch. Yes, yes. There's, it's like, again, you can get off the wire that way or that way. Yes. That's balance means you yes. know to keep it in the middle you have to have selective harvest and that's where understanding how to measure fish health yes extremely important absolutely absolutely and we're, we're going to get into that i think one thing i want to do though before we kind of start diving into that is i want to state a couple of truths and and these are hard truths that i don't think people want to hear very often but it is just the truth The truth and nothing but the truth, ladies and gentlemen, that is what I am always going to tell you, even if it hurts your feelings sometimes. And one truth that is for absolutely certain is that in modern bass boats and in modern kayaks, we have a lot of electronics that need a lot of power. And if we have a lot of electronics that need a lot of power, you need to have a good battery that you can trust. And if you're looking for a good battery that you can trust, you need to check out X2 Power Batteries. I've been running X2 Power Batteries in my boat and in my kayak for going on three years now and i have had zero issues out of them it's been kind of amazing honestly i was talking to sean the other day who's the director over at x2 we went fishing together and i was telling him it just you know no rah rah bull crap that's kind of my favorite statement that i always say that 
these batteries in my boat and in my kayak, I just no power issues. I used to be plagued with power issues. used to be plagued with battery issues. I'd have to jump off batteries to start my boat and all these different things. It just doesn't happen with my X2 power batteries. And in my boat, I'm running three blue top AGM 27 series that powers both my grass, my Raptors, my ultra X, my starting capabilities, everything that I need for 12, 13, 14 hours a day without having to worry about any issues. And then in my kayak, I'm running a little 20 amp hour lithium that powers my nine inch helix graph and i can run that for two or three days and literally only use like 50 percent of the power it's absolutely amazing so if you're looking to check out an x2 power battery you can either go to a batteries plus near you or you can go online to x2powerbatteries.com and if you go to either place use the code rud x2 and yes it does work in stores too use the code rud x2 that's r-u-d-d-x2 it'll save you 10 percent off your entire purchase now without further ado Let's get into some hard truths about bass fishing that some of you guys might or might not be ready to hear. So when you look at a public body of water and you look at a lake, a public lake, and you look at, you know, a whole system of public bodies of water within a state or within a region, you've got a set of biologists who are looking at that body of water and they don't look at it and go, what do the bass fishermen want? They look at it and they go, what does the whole public who's going to enjoy this body of water want? And so when we as anglers approach a certain body of water and it's not performing the way that we believe that it should, we have to understand that when the biologists go to manage that lake, they're managing it for everybody. They're managing it for you. They're managing it for the kid who's going to fish one time, you know, with his grandpa in the summer. They're managing it for the guy who fishes off his dock once a weekend. He's They're managing it for the dude who's on his wakeboard boat and just drops a line over the side and happens to catch something. And they're managing it for a variety of species, not just the bass and not just what bass eat. And, and they're doing it to uphold and try to sustain what we were talking about earlier is a healthy food web. And so what we've got to understand is, is and Steve, Steve said this last week, and it kind of shifted the way that I thought about, you know, conservation and management. Because all they want to do is they want to make sure that everybody can catch the limit of fish that they're allowed to catch. The size is almost not a factor that they kind of consider. They just have to get enough fish big enough to be caught and taken home. And so when you're looking at a public body of water, like you've got to understand like that biologist and I love John Hammonds. John Hammonds has been on her a bunch, but like John is looking at it at this big macro picture, this giant, I have to manage it for everybody. And then when we start having conversations like what we as bass anglers have conversations about, which is growing bigger bass, we have to totally shift our mindset to what I call stewardship. And, and that's what I think we're about to dive into right here is, is a bear, better stewardship of a exceptional bass. And so, you know, you, and we'll get into that here in just a minute, but the second truth I want to put out there that I don't think people are ready to hear, but we're going to say it anyway, and you just said it is that throwing back everything that we catch is a bad extreme and Sorry about that. I got a a phone that's somehow linking up over there. I got my buddy on. Sorry about that. You're good. Um, (sighs) Throwing back everything we catch is a bad extreme, and keeping everything that we catch is a bad extreme. 
there's this fine extreme where, especially with bass, and I'm talking about bass here, and we're gonna and I'm gonna get some blowback for this because I always do. It is okay to keep and eat some bass. It's good for the health of certain fisheries, depending on factors that we're gonna get into. But it's okay that if you're looking at a fishery where they have a 12 inch minimum, you keep five 12 inch bass. Overall, you're probably gonna help the growth of one of those exceptional bass, which we're about to get into right now. And so stewardship is what I think we're we're gonna kind of get into here. And and I kind of define stewardship as how you care not for bass as a whole, but for a particular exceptional bass. That three, four, five, six pound plus bass, that one that's special that made it, that did what other, you know, what almost 90% of other bass couldn't do, which was get to that bigger exceptional size, the ones that we like to, you know, catch and hold up for a pitcher. And so I think it starts with what you've been preaching for years and years and years is health of the bass and how we keep bass healthy. And so just kind of let's go, man. Like let's just start down the rabbit hole, buddy. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you go, my friend. Okay. Well, let's let's just keep it with the pond example okay. that we've been using. But then let's say you're the client. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're gonna have two situations. Okay, the first situation is you build a pond, and you've got a young angler. You got a young man, your sons or your grandkids or whatever. And you're not really wanting to go. You don't want a trophy bass fisher. You want these kids to catch a lot of bass. Mm-hmm. Okay. We at that point, we're managing the pond the way you're talking about the biologists manage it for the state. Mm-hmm. We're managing for numbers, not size. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's just put numbers to that. If you go look up how you should stock a pond anywhere, any of the text, anywhere in the fisheries books, they're going to tell you stock 50 bass per acre. Okay, that is your just standard. It's been that way for 60, 70 years now. And you will get about a pound of growth a year Mm -hmm. on those 50 fish per acre. Mm -hmm. And they're good. They're they're not unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, But because of the rate at which you put the predators in that's how much forage they have available to grow at that rate. Mm-hmm. If you stock 60 bass per acre, you would then be too, too many fish per acre. And you would start seeing those bass start to slow stunt, mm-hmm. stun out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you would need to be harvesting earlier. If you stocked a higher number of fish per acre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let's go back to the whole, start it all over again and say, we're not managing for kids. We're not managing for higher numbers. We're not managing for catchability so everybody can go fishing. We're managing for what we want. Yeah. And you know what we want. <laughs> the big and sun. We want hammers. Yeah, that's it. We're going down to 35 bass per acre. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then when you get down, and, and if it's the pond is under like about five acres, I'll go with about 40 per acre because uh, a lot of predators and a lot of different reasons. But if it's like a 10-acre pond, I'll go down to 35 per acre. Mm-hmm. Now you'll start getting that two pounds of growth like I'm getting on my example pond. Mm-hmm. I stock 40 per acre in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, So that helps put a number. That helps you visualize that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's only 10 fish per acre. Yeah. But 10 fish per acre is significant yeah. because of what you just said, bass are stone killers. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And they consume 10 pounds to gain one. Wow. Yeah. So... 
on, and then they have to have like another five pounds or something. Uh, I can't even remember the exact math, but the, the, what, it, if you, if you weigh out 10 pounds of, of four, three to four inch bluegill and just threw them on the floor, it is a lot of fish. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. that only grows one bass, yeah. one pound. Yeah. See? So 10 fish per acre, 10 bass, you're looking at 500 pounds of forage to grow 10 bass. That's crazy. That's Massive amount. Yeah. So that's, that's where, and it's literally like, that's where it's real sensitive. We wouldn't want to stock lower than 35 because then we'll get into a situation where the blue, the bass can't guard their nests from the bluegill mm-hmm. and the bluegill go in and eat the eggs and, mm-hmm. and you'll lose the bass population. Just the same way I kind of described crappy. Mm-hmm. You'll be, you'll have a bluegill problem. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so does that help visualize yeah. kind of what we're talking about? Absolutely. So just on like a little side tangent, just to satisfy my brain, how fast is a bass eating that amount of food? Is it like over a year? Are we talking about like that's 365 days in a year? A bass needs to consume that amount to grow in a year, two pounds. Well, yes, that's technically correct. But we also have to remember temperature. Okay. So the growing, you know, when I say a year, I'm actually talking about the growing season. Gotcha. gotcha. You see, because they're not growing in the winter. Yeah. Um, the, you can actually see it on their fish scales. You can put their scales on a dissection microscope, mm-hmm. and they lay down growth rings like a tree. Gotcha. And where the growth rings get close together, those are the winners because <laughs> the fish really isn't growing. And you can count the number of winners if that bass has been alive that way. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so think about it along the lines of once the water temperatures, you know, what, 65, 70, right mm-hmm. in there, mm-hmm. and the fish can actually grow when their metabolism gets up because they warm up with the temperature. Mm-hmm. So really what we're talking about is what they consume during the growing period. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, they'll not that they don't eat the other months, mm-hmm. but that's just sustaining life. That's not growth. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. I just had to, I was kind of thinking, I was thinking like, how fast are they eating this food? You know, because they grow like rockets. I mean, yeah. Cause you know, when you look at a bass and my experience with bass is like, I've, I've literally physically watched a largemouth swim around and eat like four crawdads off the bottom before you could process that he'd ate four crawdads off the bottom, or you'll catch a bass and the entire back of its throat is full of threadfin chad. And I mean, you just think, you know, that thing is down there just eating and eating and eating and smallmouth, like smallmouth up north, especially with just the bio density of food that they have, you know, they literally can just swim in a direction and eat a crawdad literally every six inches. And, right. it's, and so I was just wondering how quickly are they consuming that food to then put on that weight that quickly? as fast as they possibly can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Awesome. And if you put them in a tank, you can really see it. Anybody who's ever had a bass in a tank will know, like when you put the forage in, they, uh, they'll open their mouth and three fish will swim out to try to put another one in. They just don't quit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just crush it. So um, just another side thought and then we'll keep going. Cause I'm, this the way I'm, it, these are called rabbit holes. My friend, I go down a, a thousand rabbit holes in one podcast. I love it. Can a bass overeat? Can it, can it eat to the point of its own detriment? I've seen it a few times. Like, um, I've seen a bass go to seven pounds in two and a half growing seasons at the hatchery because it was just stupid. It's in a threadfin shad pond, and they put like ten female bass in there. It's just grossly, yeah, you know, understocked. But they drained it. They were going to drain it. You know, they didn't, and they get so obese. They're so big. It's almost like their gills can't even flare. Um, 
they can, yeah, they can grow fast. And I, but I just don't think like, I don't think that's probably very good for the longevity of their health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't see that very often. Like generally where you'll see that is where like if a pond got messed up by crappy or green sunfish, and then somebody takes a fish and throws it in that can consume those other fish. And there's just no other bass in the pond. Yeah. You'll get yeah. Gr- ridiculous growth rates and, re- yeah. and like just that football shape. Yeah. 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 You know? Absolutely, um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, they can grow, grow, grow. And and I, I've never seen a scientific study to answer your question though. That's yeah. just an opinion that I just gave you, not yeah. anything research oriented. Yeah. I mean, I would assume it's kind of like a person you sit around and eat too many cheeseburgers. Eventually it's just going to get to you. I'm sure a large mouth being as active of a creature as it is, it's very hard for its metabolism to be over consumed by calorie intake. Unless you said like it's in a situation where it's literally can just swim around with its mouth open and food swims in, you know what I mean? So, so, you know, so we talked about kind of, you know, how many bass we need per acre. And so let's say we get our bass in there, we get them per acre, we get them growing. And we're, you know, we're growing these two, three, four pound fish. You know, they're starting to get into these, what we consider trophy class fish. So when we catch one of these trophy class fish and we catch one of these exceptional fish, how do we take care of it to make sure that it isn't going to get a disease, get an injury, you know, like how hard is it when you put it in a live well? How hard is it when you throw it up on the deck of the boat, when you throw it in the grass? Like, What's how do we keep it healthy? Uh, that's a good question, and that's take a lot. It's a long answer, too. You know, let it rip, uh, buddy. You got all the time you need, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I prefer nets. Mm-hmm. Prefer like a rubberized net. Mm-hmm. I guess to start off with, the, the biggest problem that people, the mis- biggest misunderstood problem, is the slime coat. Gotcha. Fish are slimy, mm-hmm. and that slime coat is like our skin. Mm-hmm. It protects the actual skin of the fish Mm -hmm. from the water environment. It creates a barrier, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That slime. And and, and it's important because pond water is not clean. Mm -hmm. It's got fungus and bacterias. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you remove the slime coat of the fish and put it back, it has been, it would be the same thing as like scraping your knee Mm -hmm. and cleaning it with pond water. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not good for you. Yeah, yeah. And then cleaning it with pond water every day because the fish is submerged in it, yeah, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, so think what your knee would look like if you did that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just did that to the fish. Yeah. So is it going to kill it? No, but you just made it sick. Mm-hmm. So now it's now instead of growing and being healthier and being able to grow, its energy is being used, its immune system shifted. Mm. And it's being, it's fighting a disease, mm-hmm. fighting a bacterial infection, mm-hmm. right? And then you get secondary problems like with parasites because its immune system's now compromised. Now it's more susceptible to things like parasites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get start getting multiple factors working against the gross. Mm-hmm. And of how do you get the slime coat off? Touch the fish with something dry. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to wet your hands when you handle the fish. If you lay the fish down on a scale, just throw a little water on it. Just literally just, you know, wet it with a handful of water. Make sure it's wet. And because that slime will just peel off like a banana peel if it touches something dry. Hmm. And that's that to me, if I could get everybody just to understand that. Yeah. 
you know, we have gone light years to handling bass. So you boat flip a bass up on dry carpet, you just took its slime coat off. Yeah. Yeah. You did that to a 13 pound bass. I'm got ready to shoot you. <laughs> okay. You're yeah. not doing that to my 13 pound bass. I can promise you that you'll be escorted from the lake. That's absolutely. Not happening. No, yeah. it's yeah. not happening. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because they're so rare. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then when you start looking at our fisheries, where are the 17 and 18 pound fish? Well, they don't go past 12 and 13 when they've been boat flipped onto the carpet. Yep. yep. They, they die. Yeah. So when we boat flip a fish, you know, let's say we don't kill it right off, but we do give it some sort of skin disease. I don't know if there's numbers out there, if there's been a study done, there might or might not have. What is the percentage chance that that fish is going to swim away and live happily ever after? And what's the chances of a mortality happening or even a delayed mortality happening when you boat? Let's say we boat flip a four pounder. You know, I hate to use this example because I, you know, people always are like you bash pro fishermen, but it's just an example I saw. I was watching a professional tournament the other day. They boat flipped a fish, and the dude literally screamed at it as it laid in the bottom of his boat for like two minutes. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. and so, so yeah. like that fish. Let's say that it, you know, we, oh, that's cool, and but we put it right back in the water. Okay. What's the well, chances it? So we give it. So we give it that skin disease from that interaction. What's the chances it's going to live after that? That's going to depend on the time of the year. Mm, okay. 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 Because if you if you flip one up on the deck and it's dry and it peels the slime coat off, mm-hmm. and it's also going to depend on how much that slime coat gets peeled off. Mm-hmm. The small section, mm-hmm. or did, is the whole side of the fish been removed? You know, the slime gotcha. been removed. So okay. that's kind of you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Subject for debate. Yeah. But if you do it in the summertime the fish can regenerate the growing season. It can regenerate that slime coat quickly. Mm-hmm. If you do it in the winter time, you just expose that fish to bacteria until it warms up. Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't regenerate in the winter time. Gotcha. I didn't know that. So terribly a bad idea to do it in the winter time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that's critically important. Now, the, instead of just talking about, you're going to kill the fish because it, you, I, I've done this for too long. People are going, all oh, my fish swim away. Okay, but remember what we were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's just assume you didn't kill any fish, right? Pat yourself on the back. You didn't yeah. kill anything. Yeah. You stressed it out to the point where it can't grow, though. Yeah. 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 You know, because we're talking about growing bass here. Yeah. Not yeah. keeping bass alive. Keeping bass alive and growing trophy bass are two different things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think there's here's another truth that a lot of people aren't ready to hear, but I think it needs to be put out there. Not all bass that swim away live delayed Mm-mm. mortality is a thing and just because you don't see them floating doesn't mean they're not dead because that is the number one argument that i hear from so many people is like well if if bash were dying at that high rate they'd be floating everywhere that's not the truth bass will swim away they will die and they will sink to the bottom and turtles and all the rest of the natural things, those natural decomposers will decompose that fish before it ever has a chance to float to the top. And, Correct. and, and so that's one thing is, and, and, I, and that plays right into what you said. Okay. So let's say we didn't kill it. Let's say that delayed mortality didn't happen, but you still stop that fish from being able to be exceptional, you know, cause that four it, pounders not going to five this year. Yeah. Yeah. That and seeing that man, it just lost an entire season. 
You know how important that is? <laughs> so, so, so can we assume that putting fish in a live well, running them around, stressing them out like we stress them out, let's say you put a four-pounder in a live well, we can stress it out to the point where it literally is going to not become a five-pounder, even if it goes and does all the right things, just that stress is going to keep that fish from growing like it should. Correct. And that is so profound. I think people just miss that. I'm going to say it one more time so everybody can hear it. <laughs> putting a fish and stressing it out, putting it in a live well, stressing it out, weighing it in at a tournament, doing whatever you a person does, even putting it in a live well just to take a picture with it. Right. That is going to stress that fish out to the point that it is not going to be able to grow the way that it should and go from four to five or five to six or six to seven or on up the chain. It literally stops its growth because of the stress that you put on the body of that fish. Yes. And so what we need to also think about too mm. is like when I hauled fish a lot, I stock fish a lot, right? Yeah. So a pound of fish per gallon of water, that's our haul rate. Mm-hmm. You don't exceed that mm. because they're like, their gills are like sponges, mm-hmm. right? And they absorb the oxygen out of the water. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Say you've got a good stringer of bass and it's, uh, you got a four, a five, an eight and a nine. Mm-hmm. How much weight is that? And how many gallons is your tank? I mean, the average gallon of tank in a bass boat is 20 gallons. So once you exceed 20 pounds of fish, you're running the risk of killing them or stressing them to the point where they're just, because you can't run oxygen enough in there to keep them from getting oxygen stressed when you've got 25 pounds of fish in a 20 gallon tank. Wow. That's bad. That is bad. I don't haul fish that way because I want my fish when I stock them to live. Man, that is, dude, that's some profound information. <laughs> like, why is not more people out here talking about that? Like, why are we not shifting the conversation in the professional? tournament fishing world in the recreational tournament fishing world. I mean, why are people not having those conversations? Because the conversations that they want to have is, well, I put the G juice in there and I put some ice in the live well. So all my fish are fine. No, 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 no. I mean, if you, if you exceed 20 pounds on a 20 gallon live well, you are stressing those fish. Badly. And you got to understand too, I'm talking about running compressed oxygen aeration in, on one pound per gallon, not a, an aerator. I'm talking about 100% oxygen bubbled in on a stone out of a out of a tank like an emphysema patient breeze. That's wow. the kind of aeration we use. You know, you can't beat that aeration and it stresses them in that. That's that dude, that's some profound stuff right there, man. I mean, that's like that's the stuff that people do not want to hear that, but they need to hear it because that's just the stone cold facts about uh, again, the stewardship of individual exceptional fish. And in in, in we don't do a good I say we. I'm not a big I don't I fished my first boat tournament in 15 years last year. Like I don't I don't put fish in live wells unless it's something crazy. Like, you know, I put a couple fish in a live well a few months ago, but I was below a damn discharge and I had spot lock on. I hooked one, threw it in the live well, hooked another one, threw it in the live well, turned around, took a picture of them, put them both back in the water. You know what I mean? Just like bing bang boom. And even then that was probably too much stress and I shouldn't have done that, but it was just one of those deals. But no, like, I mean, compare that to you caught all those fish in the first hour of the tournament and they just spent the day in your live well. Yeah. That's a significant yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. And that's the part that people don't, they want to make all this stuff cookie cutter and it's not the variables here. You know, you have to, that's what science is. You have to consider all the variables. Yeah. 
Right. And, yeah. and and when you don't even understand that fact that we just talked about, yeah. how can you consider the variables? Variables. So many variables. And and one thing in life that has a ton of variables is insurance. And there's so many different options, plans, coverage plans, price points. I mean, the list goes on and on. And honestly, it can be overwhelming sometimes when we think about insurance. But if you are looking at your insurance needs and you're looking to find somebody that can help you to kind of wade through all of those variables, you need to call Matt Phillips over at First Choice Insurance. I trust First Choice Insurance with all of my insurance needs. Boat, car, health, life, home, everything is fulfilled through First Choice Insurance. And Matt Phillips and his family over at First Choice Insurance are going to help you to find the insurance that you need at a price point that isn't going to break the bank. First Choice is a family-owned and operated insurance company specializing in a broad spectrum of insurance solutions from A to Z. Literally, airplanes to zebras, they have insured it all. So whatever insurance needs you might have, I can promise you they're going to be able to help you to fulfill it. So if you're looking for an insurance experience that isn't the normal insurance experience, meaning that you're going to get that family feel, that one-on-one personal attention that you need to make sure that you get what you need, give Matt Phillips a call over at First Choice Insurance. Again, that's Matt Phillips, 573-686-2870, or you can check them out on Facebook at First Choice Insurance. Now, without further ado... Let's keep talking about variables because there are so many variables in bass fishing. And I, this conversation just gets even more interesting from here. Exactly, man. Exactly. Dude, you got me thinking, brother. I mean, hell, Steve did this to me last week, too. You got me to the point where my brain's going so fast that I can't. <laughs> like my, it's, it's hard for me to not have words coming out of my mouth because I talk a lot. But, like, dude, just the, the, just the thought process behind that. And kind of to finish the thought that I was talking about a few a few seconds ago, when we talk about tournament bass fishing at any level, we are specifically talking about the stewardship of five individual exceptional bass for the most part. I mean, yeah, we have those tournaments where we all suck. We catch five 12 inches, but our point in going out there and doing what we do in the boat specifically, kayak tournaments are different because we're all catch photo release. I mean, it's immediate release back into the water. That boat tournament, you are going out there trying to catch the five biggest fish that you possibly can. And if you're not the MLF, the BPT specifically, catch, weigh, release, you're sticking five fish in a box where it is almost a guarantee that you're going to stress them to the point of not growing and or stress them to the point of death at in the live well and or death delayed from the use of being put in the live well. Correct. And and another point that we can draw from that is just the biology of the fish. So a freshwater fish, they naturally pee a lot. Mm. Okay. So it's ammonia, it's right? Part of their biology. Right. Yeah. So when you put a fish into a tank yeah. and add that stress, the first thing that it does is begin to pee a lot. Okay. That builds the ammonia up in the tank. You can literally poison them just with the ammonia. If you don't flush that tank water, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that'll kill them. Mm-hmm. But also, as you know how the tank water gets nasty, the mm-hmm. fish get in there and just that slime. Right. When the tank water is is poor in poor water quality in your tank, mm-hmm. that will also cause the fish to dump its slime coat. Oh, okay. It can lose its slime coat because it's held in poor water. 
Wow. And now we're back to where we started on the other, you know. Yeah, well, that kind of makes sense because I kept some perch the other day and just kind of threw them in a cooler with a little bit of water. And by the end of the you day, know what the, I'm talking about. yeah, dude, the water was literally like almost jelly-like, and it was they just, dumped their slime coat into it. Yep, it was ammonia, and they dumped their slime coat into it. And I mean, you know, if you're not doing, I mean, even even the most proper form of fish care in the live well, you know, we just established that that's not even good enough. But even if it's a slightly off. You're you're doing things to fish that are going to kill them, dude. That is that is some man. We got to get you in front of some different people and like start raising some hell, my friend. Like, dude, this is man. This. I've been doing this for thirty years. I've known this information since nineteen ninety three. Okay, this this might be new to you, sir. It is not to me. So, you know, and it's almost it's not new, but it just vilifies everything I've been saying myself. And to hear someone who's in your profession saying, I told Stephen this last week and I've told John this before, Gene Gilliland, all of them, just to hear you guys say these things and know that like, hey, this assumption, just this simple mind exercise that I did and come up with this idea, it's like, hey, yeah, duh. That's like, it's simple. It's one in one makes two. Like bad fish handling, bad fish stewardship, bad live well conditions equals dead fish. Whether they swim off or not, they're probably dead or they're injured to the point where they're not going to want to grow anymore. So my question is, Shan, if you if you had a magic wand, <laughs> how do you think that we start to shift how we think about bass and the handling of bass? Like, I know this is a great approach. You know, we're we're putting it out here. There's going to be probably three, four thousand people that end up listening to this podcast by the time it's all said and done. Hopefully, more if we share it out and it gets going. But like, what is what is that like approach when we look at lakes? We look at ponds. We look at you know, how people handle fish. What's our magic wand to kind of fix the problem? Well, I mean, now you're touching on kind of what started me to do my page because I tried doing this a long time ago, around probably 08, 09, I don't know, on Facebook, started talking to people to try to draw up business for myself and and to help people understand how to, you know, to, to understand this mm-hmm. stuff that we're talking about, be better at handling fish and safer for the fish. Mm-hmm. And I just got, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take the negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second time I started it, I was reading about, uh, I was stuck at an airport and there was a Forbes magazine laying on the coffee on the table in front of me. And I, I just read it because I was stuck there. And one of the articles was about influencer marketing and at the end, it's like a 10 step thing. If you can do this, 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 and this, you become an influencer yeah. and you can make money on the internet. Yeah. And Hopefully, I was like, I hope I hit, I've hit all 10 of them steps. Maybe I'm missing <laughs> one. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I don't even remember what they all were, but when I put the art, I threw, threw the magazine down. I'm like, yeah. I could do that with, you know, fish, you know, and yeah. then I threw it down. Well, it wasn't even a year later and COVID hit. Ah, uh, yeah. I was sitting there with, you know, thumb in my butt. And I was like, shoot, man, I mean, if I'm going to do anything in my life to help bass health, now's a great opportunity. Yeah. So I got 5,000 people with just in a few months, you know, on Instagram and took off on there more than other. Mm-hmm. I haven't done YouTube as much, but yeah. um, Instagram, Facebook is where I have most most of my people. And and I just started talking about it and putting it out there. And then, you know, I've gotten some blowback, but I have to say, man, like doing this, this has really helped yeah. the podcast because in this format, when you're allowed to, 
you know, articulate all your ideas and yes. allow people to hear it, yes. you know, and not just be like a post on Facebook where you're, it gets buried in arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's what changed for me. Yeah. So what you're doing is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and, and all the guys that I've been on, I thank you and, and thank everybody that's had me on. And if yeah. you, any of you guys out there listening, because it has helped so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, that's why I love these podcasts because it allows me to have a conversation and that's the problem nowadays is everything that we consume in media is only getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And, you know, like the advent of YouTube shorts and Instagram reels and TikToks. I mean, it's this much information. And, you know, and I've tried to take these clips from these shows and post them on Instagram. And there's just never enough context. And all it ends up is a giant argument. And that's why I almost let this podcast just be its own thing. It's because this is where we get to, like you said, articulate and really iron out the conversations that we're having and be able to pass the information along in the proper form. You know what I mean? So... I, another thing, now I'm just kind of thinking about this. Why, why are, why are, what do you think the mindset of other biologists are, or fisheries directors are, or like you know when you look at these tournament trails specifically? Why do you think that they're not having these same conversations? That we're having now about the handling of fish. Is it just simply because? It's a business. It's a money making apparatus, and the money making's in the fish catching, and, and we're kind of putting the fish care and the fish stewardship to the side because of the money making apparatus. I, I well, I think again variables. There's a lot of variables there. Yeah, I think probably based on most people don't want the confrontation, mm. and it's very confrontational. Yeah, they don't want so that smoke. When I came back on, I knew I was ready. I mean, lace up the gloves. Here yeah. we go. Yeah, but. It actually really wasn't because of the podcast that I had been involved with. Yeah. Um, it, it really wasn't as bad as it was 10 years ago. So yeah. that gives me hope. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that, that people are beginning to listen and are beginning to see things. And then and they come on, they talk to me and they're like, I got a pond. It's exactly what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it clicks for them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when your experience, cause that's what, that's what they're not seeing is they're not relating to it because they haven't seen it with their experience. Mm. Mm. You see what I mean? It's that anecdotal, it's that anecdotal mindset that gets people in a lot of in a lot of things in life, yeah. And if you just let if you just give me an honest shot and let me go crappy is a perfect example that we touched on earlier. I can tell people they get so triggered when I tell them crappy are not good for a pond. Yeah, but I got this pond that I did this that and the other end. I'm like, yeah, but what was the average relative weight of the bass in that pond? Mm-hmm. What was the average relative weight of the crappie in that pond? Mm-hmm. What was the average relative weight of the bluegill in that pond? Did you measure the fish health? Because this is like somebody who says they could look at a fish and tell how much it weighs. Well, that's fine. That doesn't mean anything. We have to measure it. To do my job, I have to measure it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be like me saying, I'm going to build you a porch but not use a tape measure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. I mean, science is science is based in the data. I mean, if we're really going to talk about true science being done, it's based in the data, and the data collection is hard numbers. And hard numbers, unfortunately, never lie. Like, yeah. as much as we want them to, hard numbers never lie. So speaking of hard numbers never lie, you showed me something in the green room that I was fascinated by, and I want to kind of get into that, your little tape measure that you have. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. And um, so kind of show people, explain people what this is and kind of explain to them – why 
just explain to them what it is because we've had some some questions come through about like looking at the health of bass and kind of determining mm-hmm. the health of bass and I think this is going to help us to kind of lead into that conversation. So just tell everybody kind of what this is and for people listening on podcast form, imagine a tape measure, um, not an exact tape measure, but you have numbers, a row of numbers on the top, ten through twenty five, I believe he's got, and then yep. on the bottom there are related pounds. And so, like at ten inches, it should weigh half a pound. At twenty three inches, it should weigh seven point one pounds. So you know, it's a, a seven pounder. So just go through that for me, Shan. Okay, so the first thing to understand is where the numbers came from. Scientists took these, created this chart. Uh, it's, 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 we use it to, the calculation we're going to measure is called relative weight. Mm-hmm. And it means the weight relative to these numbers. Mm-hmm. Are they below these numbers or above? Mm-hmm. So is a 16 inch bass is two, two on my scale right there. Mm-hmm. You catch 16 inch bass, measure it properly, mm-hmm. weigh it. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Is it two? Is it one and a half? Is it 3.2? You see how much information you just gained? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know you start met, let's just say, let's just say as our example, we caught six, we caught three 16-inch bass and they were two eight, three, and three one. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're all above the standard weight, high above the standard weight, not just a, a, dig, a decimal point or two, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you just gained an invaluable amount of information mm-hmm. on that fishery now if we in the same lake we come out here and we start seeing 24 inch bass that are six pounds okay well if we've got 16 inch fish that are heavy and 24 inch fish that are light mm-hmm. you starting to get the conclusions like we've got a problem with the top end forage base yeah 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 that food web and, that food chain is not operating correctly for those bass correct. to be able to live and yeah. to go the other direction i put those numbers in red right right there the 11 to 14s, because those are the bass you really want to watch. Those are where they're going to stunt. Yeah. Most of most places yeah. is that, is that one to one and a half pound bass. Yep. So when I start seeing 14 inch bass that are 1.1, 1.2, and it should be 1.5. I'm no, I need to put a slot limit on the 14s. Hmm. I've got, I've got them. They're eating too much yeah. at that level. I got to thin that number down. Yeah. Yeah. And then it comes out, you know, comes out way out to, to this is usually what happens. These fish, these red fish will be skinny, yeah. but the, these bass out here will be heavy because they're eating these red fish. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And that's the part people don't understand. Yeah. Even in a stunted bass lake, it'll put off a few big fish and those big fish are going to eat the primary forage, which are stunted bass. Wow. Interesting. Now, when you think about that, though, we, we already talked about it, 10 pounds for one pound. Yeah. Well, if they're eating one pound meals, they're not eating very much. Yeah. Yeah. They can eat two meals and get all the forage they need. And I've seen this a million times. This is what happens. I go to a pond. It's stunning with bass. They've been catching release its whole life. Yeah. They got a few nice bass in there, but they never catch them mm-hmm. because they're Back, you know, back then there weren't even glide baits to throw. You know what I mean? Um, But those big bass are in that pond eating the smaller bass because that's the primary fish that is available for them to eat. We go in and harvest the proper numbers of bass, get that down, reduce the hunting pressure on the bluegill. Yeah. The bluegill then begin to see better, better numbers. Yeah. 
But you think what, what you've just done, though, is you've shifted. Now, instead of that bass going out and eating a pound meal, it's got to go out and eat 15 bluegill. Mm-hmm. That's the easier fish to catch. Yeah. Interesting. So not only, not only are you changing the dichotomy of how the fish is interacting with its environment, but you're also changing the, how the fish interacts with you and its ability to be caught because of how it interacts with forage that it wants to eat. Correct. That is super interesting. That is a super interesting thought that I've never thought about because there's some lakes around here that have trout in them, and there's some bass that like those trout, and you can't get them to eat anything else than something that is the size and the shape of a trout. So that you're is, hitting on it, man. It's your smart dude, man. Hey, well, I don't know about all that. I've I've just done a lot of listening. That's I, I try to I try to have my my ears open and listen a whole lot. But so that's so one question on 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 the measuring board. Does sure. that apply just to green fish, or is that brown fish and spotted bass too? Well, this this particular board mm-hmm. that I'm holding is a relative weight table. It's a condensed version of it. Okay. The relative weight table is actually every decimal place. They're very specific numbers. Yeah, I yeah. just did it like this as a frame of reference, a quick frame of reference at work. Okay, you know, gotcha. Because I couldn't remember all those stupid numbers, so I just <laughs> yeah. Okay, where is it? You know, is it around that number? Okay, we're good. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but there are charts for crappy, for bluegill, for spots, for small, yeah. and um, I'm getting them all printed out eventually. I just I don't really sell them. I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Is I can't really. I could. I, I'd love to have all the game fish charts, you know, printed out like this. Yeah. But I just I'm I've got crappy smallmouth and bluegill coming next. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because you know brown fish. I think when you get into brown fish and you smallmouth. I call them brownfish, whatever. But anyway, when you start talking about smallmouth, man, and this is going to lead me into my next kind of question and, and kind of going down this, this, you know, rabbit hole, we'll say. I've caught 24-inch smallmouth that weigh four and a half pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, that was up in a river, and these are river smallmouth that are very different and I don't know, you know, we, I talked to, I've talked to biologists about it. They're starting to do more genetic studies now to show that these river smallmouth may be completely different than what lives up north and what lives in the lakes. And so you're dealing with, you know, physically a completely different fish that may not play within that set of rules that you're talking about. Um, right. But one fish that does play within that set of rules that we're talking about is a pre-spawner versus a post-spawner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we say these things so kind of just nonchalantly now because it's just a term that, you know, it's been coined and, oh man, look at that big fat pre-spawner, you know, and it's, we just say that cause it's March and, you know, it's supposed to be the pre-spawn from spawn from pre-spawn to spawn. How does it affect that ruler that you just showed me? Significantly. And, significantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then what is that fine line between being a post-spawner and being a sickly zombie fish like we were talking about in the green room? Sure. Well, it's pretty easy to see because, all right, let's say, um, all right, let's just say 24-inch fish because I've, I've seen a bunch of 24s. Um, Northerns are pretty easy to get to 24 and about 8 pounds, mm-hmm. right? Um, but a northern, just like you described him, you had a 23 inch, 23 and a half that went over 10, right? Yeah, yeah she was I'm, a freak of nature, man. I'm assuming that was probably February or March, right? That was February on Chickamauga. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're dealing with a healthy bass that put on two pounds of egg weight for 24 inches long. Wow. I see that in ponds. Yeah. Okay. So it was, a, it was at relative weight or slightly above. It was 8.1 to 8.5 before the pre spawn. Mm. It egg weight bulked it to 10. 
it laid those eggs and went back to it's still its healthy weight. Which is the eight. Right. Uh-huh. So if I see a 24-inch fish full of eggs, but it's only eight one, I know it's going to lay those eggs back down and probably lose a pound, half or two pounds and be back at six five after the spawn. Mm. Yeah. See the difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost like a significantly underweight. Yeah. And it's almost like a fighter getting ready for a fight. You know, they do their cut and then they put their water weight back on to get to their, their natural size. But we're just talking about in the opposite direction. You've got this, this extremely healthy individual fish who is able to then, you know, use a bunch of its energy to create eggs and, and have these eggs and add on two extra pounds of eggs and then have those eggs and then go back to its extremely healthy weight. You know, it's fighting weight, we'll say. Correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's exactly what you see. And I, I just know that from the ponds that I've managed. Now you're not going to get two pounds of egg weight on a 14 inch fish. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. going to be like maybe 0.6 or something. You know, I don't, I'm just throwing a number out there. Yeah. I just know I've just seen the 24s enough go right to around 10 pounds and then drop back to eight. Yeah. To, to know, you know, yep. um, as that is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It, it, I think it just shows, you know, well, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, a two pounder is going to be completely different than a 10 pounder because I mean, it's body just physically can't carry the same amount of weight that the eight pounder can. It's just the way that it is. Exactly. And so that's, that's very interesting. Now, when we start looking, so if you see a fish that's, you know, 22 inches long and she's three and a half pounds and, you know, it's May or June and you're like, oh man, it's just a post spawner. No, you're looking at what is probably a, an unhealthy Starting. fish. Starting yeah. You look, maybe, maybe. Okay. So then again, variables. Yeah. Are we, are we in a stunted population mm-hmm. or not? What are the other weights of the bass. Did you see, is it a one-off fish where all the other fish are at the way at standard weight or a little better and you had one mm-hmm. or are all the fish under yeah. and see, that's where you start saying, if you start measuring the fish weights this way, you'll see it. It, 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 it becomes very clear. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take very long. Like every single fish in this lake is underweight. Yeah. All right, that's a problem with the entire system. Yeah. When you've measured 20, 30, 50 fish across a couple a, a season, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And every single one of them was under. Mm-hmm. And that's how I use my my relative weight chart. We just described how I use my relative weight chart to grow bass, but I also use my relative weight tra- chart to scout for trophy lakes. Yeah. Because in trophy lakes, the 14s will be high, the 16s will be high, yeah. the 18s will be high. Yeah. So when I start seeing relative weights, above the numbers for any size fish consistently down the whole food chain, yeah. 12, 14, 16, 18. I know I'm fishing in the right lake for a big fish. It's interesting. Cause I can think of some lakes around here that you could probably go. I, I, I just put a video out a couple few last week, Sunday, last Sunday. And, uh, I was catching smallmouth that were, you know, 15 and a half, 16 inches long. And they were weighing three and a half, almost four pounds. And so you start looking at those fish and then you start thinking, like you just said, Hey man, this, this lake is doing something right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so now when we look at that, obviously food is a huge part. I mean, like let's, let's define something right. Okay. You have a good balance, which means you have the proper numbers of predators to prey. You have uh, the, the, whatever forage is available. I don't Mm -hmm. care what it is, but smallmouth are in low enough numbers that they can eat consume and grow if that smallmouth population gets higher catch and release only and it doubles or even 10 or 12 fish per acre yeah 
their growth starts to slow down. You'll see it in the numbers. It, like on my ponds where I'm managing them, they'll be 125% relative weight, 130. They're high, high, high. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, that 11 to 14 inch size class starts to creep down. You start seeing 99s on your on your measurement, mm-hmm. 95s. It's it's creeping under those numbers. Mm-hmm. That's when you start to know. That's where your slot limit needs to be. That's where those fish you need to be keeping those fish to reduce the the available forage to those fish. Remember, yeah, the bigger fish could have can eat bigger meals. Mm-hmm. So it's the fish with a mouth that size. They'll eat all the three to four inch bluegill out of the daggone pond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing for them to eat and they're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get a thought out here before we go to this next thought. Cause, cause that's just kind of, I want to put it out there. So what I'm hearing you say is that when we're looking at a fish population, if we have got thousands upon thousands of 12 to 14 inch fish, and we're just not seeing that exceptional fish anymore, that a good solution to that would be catch, keep, take a few home, eat them. Because the more of those smaller fish that we can get out of the population, it gives those fish that can be exceptional a chance to become exceptional by eating more food because there's less mouths to feed, essentially. Correct. And another thought that I have is that when you look at tournament fishing – specifically where you put them in a live one, you carry them around and we're looking for that exceptional fish that the more that we interact with those exceptional fish and let's say delayed mortality takes a few, you know, because one thing we always say is that we'll never be able to fish a lake out of fish. You know, when you look at big lakes, like Cherokee Lake, for example, they say if, if a person, if every person kept five fish, Every day of the year for a year, there's always still going to be smallmouth, largemouth, spotted bass in that lake. But they all may just be 12 inches long because if we take them that many out, including the exceptional ones, then they're all just going to be like we just stated, that smaller than average fish. And there's just going to be a ton of them because none of them are getting big and getting exceptional. But if we specifically target the exceptional fish and we start to eliminate those exceptional fish from areas of the lake, whether that be through delayed mortality, mortality at the tank, and or just the fact that we're displacing them from an area, we can take an area of the lake and turn it into what used to be a big fish area and turn it into a small fish area just for the simple fact of we took that big predator out, which allowed three smaller predators to come in there and then consume all the food in a manner that the big fish couldn't get big anymore. Yes, I'd also like to touch on what we talked about. What uh, it's easy to grow a one pound bass. It's easy to grow one to 12 to 14. You're going to get there in a year on almost any of these lakes. Yeah. Okay. But what's the probability that the one pound bass is going to spend its day in the tank versus a five? We did talk. Yes. So kind of, yes. The five pound bass is staying in the tank. Yeah. So let's say it's just handled a little bit poorly. Yeah. Right. But it's thrown back and it lives. Mm -hmm. But another 300 boat tournament comes out this weekend and it gets caught again. Yep. And then it happens again in a month. All right. Now. And that's what John was touching on when he was talking. If it's handled three times in a tank held three times across the growing season, it's probably about a hundred percent mortality on that fish. Wow. Yep. So So it's not you. It's you and the next guy and the next guy need to have really good fish handling skills. Yeah. And because it's skewed, there's way fewer five pounders than there is one pounders. Mm-hmm. 
you kill that five pounder because it stayed in the tank all day. It stayed in the tank all day. The third time it stays in the tank, it's done. Yeah, man. And see, and that's the deal. You're so right on that, that the one pounder ain't going to stay in the tank like the five pounder does. And if you put five, five pounders in a tank and, and you get them, you know, everybody wants to talk about retreads, retreads, you know, if I, it's the, you know, it's the boat ramp pattern, you go to the nearest sure. boat ramp, you fish the boat ramp. Cause that's where all the fish are at. I mean, hell I'm going to do it tomorrow in my tournament because I know, right. that's, you know, I'm in a kayak, so I have to fish close to somewhere, you know? And so I know those fish right. are there. And so, so it's like, but the thing is, is, is if, if we do that three, four times in a growing season, you got almost a 100% mortality rate. And so you can eliminate an age class and a size class of fish from a lake just because of the residual effect of tournaments over time. And see, that was always a, a, I think a big hangup for me with big tournaments, like pro level tournaments, like the Bassmaster Classic came to Loudon this year. I'm not worried about the Classic. Those dudes couldn't affect the fish population that one time on the water ever. No, it's the residual of all the other people that want to come there and fish on the same playing field as those guys that lead to those that fish population or that fishery going in a declining way. And to be honest, since the last time the pros came, Loudon's been on a decline, and I think it simply has to do with just the amount of pressure that's being put on that lake, and people aren't seeing the size class of fish anymore because those fish are either being displaced or they're dead. And so now you got a bunch of 12 inches that have taken the place of these five, but you got four 12 inches that's taken the place of one five pounder. Correct. That's a perfect way to describe it. Damn, buddy. Damn. I swear. Got me. And your mortality is going to be higher on the larger fish because they're, they're going to be handled more. Yeah. And, 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 and let's hope that everybody handles them the proper way. Because that's not always going to be the fact either. I mean, you I can know. guarantee you they don't. Because just in what and what we've talked about right here, like I said, I've known this stuff thirty years. Can you imagine what I what happens if I watch a, one of those tournaments? Oh, buddy, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pop a stroke, man. <laughs> yeah, I man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's like come on, guys. You can't. I mean, it's yeah. not a one pound bass. You got to treat an eight pound bass differently. Yeah, you got to treat a four pound bass differently. I mean, Absolutely. man. I, I mean, you're talking about a completely different creature. And like those little those one pounders. I almost okay. Here's a question for you: Is there almost of a, a fragile fragility? I don't know what the word would be. Is do bass become more fragile the bigger they get? Because like I feel like a yeah. one pounder can sometimes be like a lot more hardy and like able to withstand things better than like a four or five pound fish can. I'm glad you mentioned that because you shifted over. We can get away from slime coat and talk about other ways fish that are injured. Okay, mm-hmm. it's handling. Mm-hmm. And handling usually lipped. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to leverage the jaw yeah. on a bat. You know, yeah, have people yeah. hold them like that, hold yeah. them above their head like yeah. that with yeah. their bodies out, out horizontal. Yeah. That'll sprain or break the jaw. Mm-hmm. And once you've sprained or broken the jaw, the fish can't feed. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll, it, and even if it can, if it's inhibited with a, actually sprains can be worse than break. If it breaks, it's dead. Yeah. Right. It can live through a sprain. But again, isn't the idea of putting the fish back in the water so it can grow? Yeah. Yeah. Let them go. Let them grow, man. That's the the same. So if you handled its jaw that way and sprain it and you can't 
hear you can hear it you'll feel it pop yeah, right yeah, when, it's, yeah. when it breaks you'll see it and hear it and feel it um but you won't on the sprain but if you the larger the fish gets then the more important it is to protect its jaw mm-hmm. when you lever an eight a one pound bass doesn't have enough ass in to bust its jaw mm-hmm. an eight sure as hell does a four sure as hell does mm-hmm. so it as the fish gets bigger we need to consider its jaw yeah, and how you handle its jaw. And secondarily too, two hands on, I like to put my hand on the belly yeah. to support literally like get into the organs, lift that belly. When you lift that fish up out of the water, it's organ sag. Yeah. Yeah. That's terribly stressful. So if you just wet your hand and put and support that belly while it's out of the water, yeah. that helps yeah. to support its in, internal organs and reduce stress even further. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, cause, dude, I've I've held a ten pounder. It's an exceptional fish, man. It is something magical to hold in your hands. But when I held her, man, it's like I, I almost felt like I had to hold her with supporting her because, like, when I let her hang, man, I just felt like I was going to rip her face off because she's got yes. so much pulling down on her. Yeah, and, and I've always kind of joked and said, you know, you know. You know, a fish, it kills with its face. I mean, it eats with it. Like, it literally uses its face to kill things. You know, so it's hard to, it's hard to like, mess their face up. But that's more of a joke than than anything. But, like, it's one of the things, man, like, those bigger than, in, like, a five-pound smallmouth, man. Like, you hold a five-pound smallmouth up or six-pound smallmouth up, and just you can feel, like, how its jaw is like, hey, I can't handle all of this. My natural state isn't with this much downward pressure pulling down on my face. I mean, that would be like somebody grabbing you by the jaw and pulling you up. And, and yeah, it may not break, but you're going to be bruised and you're going to be hurt. And let's hope it when doesn't break. When you're three years old, that yeah. won't kill you. Yeah. When you're our age, exactly. Because about Yeah, because we have more body mass. I mean, it's just the simple fact of... It's it's physics, man. Like there's more mass pulling down on a the same size object that it was before, and something's gonna give way there. And when it does give way, again we list, we can lead to that fish mortality. Man, that is, dude, man. You know, and the thing is, it's like these things are things that I've like I thought about, and it's just hearing them. You know, when you start to hear things out loud, it becomes more real for you. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's crazy, dude. So I got I got a couple more questions for you. This is questions I've seen come through that I want to get out there for some of the people listening. And I found that I find these interesting and it's kind of actually questions that kind of have come up in my head as we've gone on. One thing I've not heard you talk about is crawdads. Mm-hmm. What is kind of your what's your stance on the crawdad? Because I live in an area of the country where, man, I got a lot of bass that hammer crawdads. I mean, they are some crawdad eating mugs. And the reason I know that is I've kept enough of them and done enough necropsies on them and seen enough crawdads in them just to know. So what's kind of your opinion on crawdad as a forage and how it affects a bass and how it grows? It's very, like you just described, it depends on where you are. Okay. Um, Crawfish are everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned Andrew in in his podcast earlier and he had a guy come on and I learned more from that podcast about crawfish than I've ever heard or seen. And the thing that really jumped out at me was this guy still identifying species of crawfish. Oh yeah, dude. They haven't been studied very well. Yeah. So what I took away from it, the number one point that if I could relate to anybody and they don't listen to that is I don't stock crawfish in ponds. Yeah. Part of the, when I stocked the bluegill at the beginning and we let that, let that six months to a year. Yeah. 
there's no pressure on the crawfish either. And the crawfish, the natural crawfish will build up. Mm. Now I'll do rock piles, gravel piles. I'll, I'll enhance their habitat, mm -hmm. right? Cause mm -hmm. they're scrapers. They're like rock. Mm -hmm. Um, we all know you get around rock and the, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll find the crawdads around that. Mm -hmm. Um, based on what he said, I don't know if the natural crawfish in your lake are more productive than the ones I can buy. Hmm. Interesting. So why spend money on them? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think there'll be lobsters, man. I mean, in the pond I just grew, I mean, the, the crawfish were huge in there. There's absolute yeah. hammer crawfish in there that yeah. occurred naturally. I didn't stock any. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did help their habitat. I, when we, the pond was drained down, we yeah. did crawfish habitat. Yeah. We did geofabric and, and, and rock piles and, yeah. and make sure the rock doesn't fall down in the muck that stays yeah. up, fluffed yeah. up. Yeah. Um, but I don't stock crawfish for that reason. Now there's a, a lot of guys who sell crawfish who will pop a stroke at that, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not a crawfish salesman. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's um, and, you know, and you touched on something important there, habitat too, man. I think habitat is something me and Steven talked about that. And it's one thing that a lot of people overlook is good habitat. You know, you got to have good habitat to have a place for bass to be because bass want to be on what they live on. It's like us being in our house. We got to have a house. Right. You know, we like living in our house. So yeah, the crawdad thing interests me. Man. I've always been fascinated with crawdads just for the simple fact that like, dude, here in Tennessee, we have got more crawdads. Like in dude... I mean, dude, it's crazy. I mean, like you can go from one side of the lake to the other and throw a fish in the live well or keep a fish and do a little necropsy on it. And you'll Duke go from, them, yeah. yeah, they'll go from black to green crawdads to red crawdads to blue crawdads. I mean, dude, I've seen them. I saw a smallmouth bass one time spit up a crawdad. It was below a damn discharge. It was purple, pink, and green. And I was like, man, I've never, I, like, I didn't even know what it was, but like, come to find out, it's just some specific type of crawdad that just lives in that one river. You know what I mean? It's there, a, yeah. There's that. So you got to pay attention to that for sure. Yeah. But just yeah. generally speaking, um, let's, let's do a clear lake with some vegetation versus a stained lake with no vegetation. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? The yeah. Muddy water lakes that are yeah. muddy most of the time yeah. maybe they have a sediment load in the top end yeah. and the water stays brown yeah. and they don't really have much weeds in it. Yeah. That's going to shift the crawfish to blue black. Interesting. Okay. In the, when they go into the, into the, in the if they have weeds that they can feed on, yeah. that changes something in their, I can't remember exactly how to call it now, but it changed the diet change changes the color of the crawfish to more green pumpkin. Interesting. Yeah, I think like vitamin E or it's a vitamin of some kind. I can't call a vitamin, but there's there's vitamins in the plants mm. that changes the color of the crawfish. So if I'm in clear water, don't know anything about the lake, clear water, got vegetation, green pumpkin. I'm starting there. Yeah. Muddy water stays muddy, stained. I'm going blue black. Interesting. Interesting. That's uh, do we, I, I got a feeling we got a whole nother podcast just about like <laughs> how bass eat, like, like what does a bass eat and why is he eating it? All right. The, the next question that I saw come through and I, I thought this one was very interesting was like the introduction of, of an invasive, right? Let's mm -hmm. say a striper or an Alabama spotted bass. That's our big problem here in Tennessee now, or a big catfish, how is that affecting a body of water? Like, is it is it going to just, you know, 
I, I know, again, variable, right? It's going to be very variable. But, like, let's say you just for some reason, some guy, you know, you're managing a pond for him, and he catches, like, a 10-pound blue cat and is like, I want to put this in my pond and drops it in there. Right. Is that thing just going to be like the Hulk and, like, Hulk out and just go start killing everything? Or is it going to mm-hmm. be like, eh, it's not that big of a deal? I've seen guys do them with flatheads. Really? Yeah, it crushes the souls out of everything in it. There's no fish in the pond left. You put a 40, 50-pound flathead, a couple of them in a pond. Done. Everything goodbye. Just because they're just they're just a better predator. They're just predators. They're, yeah, I mean it's just a forty pound. It's just bigger. You yeah. know, it can consume everything, and it does. And it's in again, it's not a lake. So, like going back on striper, they get a bad rap. Actually, the striper are a pretty good management tool on bigger lakes. Yeah. Of course, you wouldn't want a striper in a pond if you could keep it in a pond. Yeah. It'd be the same thing as a flathead. Yeah. It's a limited, smaller space. Yes. In a lake. A lake is mostly open water. Yeah. So when you get your filter feeders, like your uh, threadfish shad or your blueback herring, your alewife, um, schooling filter feeders, they can just swim and open their mouth and filter the plankton Mm -hmm. and stay alive Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the lake away from where largemouth bass prefer to hunt. Mm Because, they're you know, bass are going to be around the the structure, the Mm -hmm. cover, the edges. Yeah, yeah. So you can literally get into a situation where the, bait, the bulk of the bait fish are out in the middle and just they're, they're, they're subject to no predators in a lake. Mm-hmm. That's what the striper do. They get out there and they smash them. Mm-hmm. They push them around. They, now the big schools of fish are getting pushed up to the edge where the bass have an advantage at them. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're actually a really important management tool on lakes that can support them because they, they do that. They they help the bass feed and people are like, Oh, the striper, if you got rid of the striper, no, if you got rid of the striper and let the biomass, mm-hmm. let the pounds of forage get higher out there, you're reducing the pounds of bass. Mm. That's just like, interesting. Our, just yeah. like our, yeah, that's interesting. Bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So the striper are a good management tool to keep that from happening. That's interesting. That's super interesting. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of our lakes around here that have the striper in them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I do notice. It's like, you know, because our bass, if there's two things that our bass in these lakes around here really, really focus on, and not to say that they don't eat other things, because obviously they do. I mean, they're bluegill eaters. They eat anything they can get their mouths on. But shad and crawdads, and that's the two big things that, you know, if you're going to mimic something, those are two big things. If you mimic those two things in East Tennessee, you're going to have some success because that's what our fish like to eat. But mm-hmm. like a Cherokee Lake... <laughs> You know, like you do have these giant balls of bait fish that will just get out in the middle and do what bait fish do. But then you have these stripper that force them up into these pockets and force them up in these places where these bass live. And ultimately, you're just helping the food chain to succeed by having that predator that interacts in an almost mutual way with the largemouth. Correct. Awesome, dude. That is so awesome. Well, listen, man. I could go for three hours with you, buddy. I've enjoyed this. This has been amazing, but I want to respect your time. I've also got to get up about, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning and be at the boat ramp at six. So I'm going to get off here. But, uh, man, you you were an awesome guest, and I want to have you back. You're welcome back literally any time that you want to come on. We got to do this again. Absolutely, man. I'll, I'll be glad to do it. Absolutely. Well, hey, guys, listen, I appreciate you. And as always, you guys are sweet, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, buddy.